Then into fitness. I opened the windows, turned on loud salsa music, and began my workout. Let's go somewhere, Mommy, Trina said when I returned to the bedroom. She hadn't moved from the spot where I'd left her. Like where? Trina paused for a moment, considering her options, confident, now that the morning had begun with her first request being granted, that her every bidding would be honored. Let's go downtown and get some flowers. Her voice was childlike, with a smooth, unperturbed lilt, a tone that made her sound so vulnerable. This eight-year-old voice gave me reason to pause, to ponder. She hadn't sounded like that in a long time. Trina was incapable of moving fast in the morning. If prodded, she turned first irritable and then insufferable. I, on the other hand, dressed quickly. But then my uniform for Saturdays was easy. Sweats and sneakers, no makeup, no hairdo, totally unlike my fashion plate weekday attire. From the kitchen, I could hear Trina thumping around inside her room, opening and slamming drawers. She was her own personal tornado. The mess she'd leave behind when she finally descended would be a viable submission for a Guinness record. Hoping she wouldn't take forever, I made breakfast cleaning up and putting away things as I cooked. The birthday cake I'd baked was still on the counter, the eighteen candles intact. The stove, floor, and sink were spotless. If I couldn't control my child, at least I was in charge of my kitchen. When she was finally dressed, Trina bounded down the stairs like an exuberant puppy. You fixed breakfast, yummy! There it was again, the baby voice. I made breakfast most days. Not that I'm such a little Betty Crocker, but because Trina had to eat well. We sat at the kitchen table and gobbled up the non-fat bran muffins, scrambled eggs, and oatmeal I'd prepared. I poured hot coffee for me and orange juice for Trina. Taking the plates to the sink to scrape them, I could see Trina from the corner of my eye, stealing a sip from my cup. My shoulders tightened, inched upward. Trina wasn't supposed to have caffeine. But then she reached for the small bottle of pink pills that was between the salt and pepper shakers. She shook out one, placed it carefully in her mouth, and swallowed it with a hot liquid. For the last three or four months, I hadn't had to remind her. She took another sip of coffee, and then several more. Maybe she was having trouble swallowing the pill. You don't have to keep staring at me, she said when I sat back down. I know what I have to do. I want to go to school in September. I'm not worried, sweetie. Some days, that was true. Crenshaw Boulevard was just beginning to open its eyes as we made our way down from the hills of View Park, the quiet neighborhood that looms above the usually bustling business district. It was just after eight o'clock, and the mall was still closed, of course, as were most of the stores that lined the street. But the small army of hucksters, whose domain was the block just north of Slosson Boulevard, had already queued up. Their wares were arranged neatly on tables near the backs of their vans or on portable shelves that were as close to the oncoming traffic as was legally possible. I beeped my horn as I passed Fishman, a portly gentleman who sold fresh salmon from the back of a white van at prices that were far lower than at the grocery store. A few feet away, Mr. Beanpie, representing the capitalist interests of the Nation of Islam, clad in the requisite suit and bow tie, 
hawk newspapers and mouth-watering pies created from the lowly navy bean to drive us stop to the red light. The last Enterprise Zone belonged to Crenshaw's most ubiquitous sales force, the incense people. Based on the sheer size of the IP workforce, it was a wonder that a mushroom cloud wasn't hovering over South Central at all times. Either we were the dope-smokingest spokes in the city, or we were meditating around the clock. Maybe both. The light ahead of me flashed yellow, and I sped up to get across the street. Just as I pressed down on the gas, I heard, Trina! Gary! A loud exuberant yell. Trina turned around, and I glanced in the rearview mirror. A teenage boy in the car next to us was waving and shouting. Mom! That's PJ! Yo! PJ, what's up? Trina screamed out the window. I waved. My ex-boyfriend's son was one of my favorite people, and I hadn't seen him in the months since I'd broken up with his dad. Thanks for the cash, he yelled as his car sped away. You're welcome, I hollered back, then chuckled. Only two weeks earlier, I'd stuck three twenties into a birthday card and mailed it to him. Trina and I had been going to the Flower District since we first moved to L.A. from Atlanta, nearly ten years earlier. Located downtown, only blocks away from the huge Aquamarine Convention Center and the massive Staples Center, home court of the Los Angeles Lakers, the Flower Mart was part of a larger area that housed the city's garment, jewelry, and fabric districts. The flowers were the province of the Latinos, and there was as much Spanish as English, not to mention Spanglish, in the air as Trina and I meandered from florist to florist. Cellars were set up in adjacent stalls under one gigantic roof. Prices and quality varied, and years of experience as well as my southern girl origins had taught me that it paid to compare. The birds of paradise caught my eye. They were huge and bright, and even though the same flowers dotted many of the lawns in my neighborhood, they didn't grow on mine. How much? I asked the stocky man, who had just wrapped up flowers for another customer. They're very beautiful now. Yes, they are. How much? Quanto questo? The florist whispered the amount. I counted. Soon we agreed on a number. Wrap them up, I told him. Aren't they pretty? I said, turning to Trina. She was gone. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Within ten minutes, I had raced through the entire building, including the restroom, and that was when the bubble of panic that was welling up inside me began to burst. I wanted to go, find a loudspeaker, get on it, and plead for my daughter's safe return. I combed through the place once more. All I could hear was the awful hammering in my chest. She's gone, she's gone, she's gone. Outside, the sun was glaring. I shielded my eyes with my hands as I trudged up and down the block. Hysteria was gripping me by the throat by the time I stopped to stare. Trina was at the end of the street, talking animatedly to a tall, dirty man who appeared to be part of the legions of the homeless who congregated not far from the commercial area. Trina! I raised to the corner, my heart banging against my chest. See you later, she said to the man and shoved her hand inside her pocket. It was a movement that didn't register until later, when every detail mattered. You shouldn't disappear like that, I said quietly as we walked back to the car. I was worried. You don't have to worry anymore. What were you and that man talking about? She smiled. Oh, nothing. 
I glanced at my watch, then quickened my pace. I have to go to the shop, I told Trina. Resale clothing stores are big in L.A. I owned a handful of shops that offered designer resale exclusively. In the entertainment capital of the world, the hook was elementary. All you have to do was imply that some star had worn this or that, and the ladies who lunched were dying to buy it. Business at good as new had gone from steady to fantastic since I opened the doors eight years ago. Saturday morning and my place was packed. Made me feel good walking in the door. Shoppers were browsing. Cash register was to chinging away. Behind the drawn curtains, all the dressing rooms were full. Adriana, one of my two saleswomen, strolled casually between the showroom and the back, where people were stepping into this and stepping out of that. She was an innocent-looking young white woman with long brown hair and a willowy body. She had a sweet, helpful attitude. The customers loved her. Adriano rushed over and gave Trina a hug. Hey, girl, she said. Her voice was whispery, baby girl soft. When she turned to me, her smile was a high-beam dance that made me grin right back. Clothes had fascinated me since I was a little girl. Ma Missy, my grandmother sewed for wealthy people. I remember one night watching her laying out a pattern on her table. The fabric was purple silk. She'd just begun to cut when the front door flew open with such fury it hit the wall. I smelled my mother before I saw her. The thick odor of bourbon ascended the stairs before she did. By the time she reached Ma Missy's sewing room, she was staggering. She collapsed on the floor in front of us but not before she threw up, all over the purple silk. I cried when she wouldn't get up. Ma Missy left her there on the floor and threw away the soil.